Oh, great Father, thank you for reminding us of your great love for us, to us, that comes into us through your Spirit. We're grateful for every work that you have done at great cost to yourself to bring us unto you. And we pray, Father, that as we leave this place this morning, that we will have been transformed by your word and by your presence into the people who are in no way vague about the greatness of the birth of your Son, that incarnation, Jesus, God the Son, becoming flesh, becoming a human, becoming a people. And Father, as we think about this text out of Luke chapter 2, we ask that you give us eyes to see it and ears to hear it in such a way, Father, that we never forget it as long as we live. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, and everyone said. Up here on the screen are a bunch of faces. So I want to ask you the question, what do coaches, school principals, the game wardens, some preachers, most CEOs, and all IRS letters have in common? What they have in common is authority that we all fear. What is it that people fear with about those that are in authority? I mean, we love lights, right? Except when they come in this form and they look like this. And then we start to get a little nervous. As you know, as most of you know, if you've been here for a while, you know that I grew up the oldest in the family of all boys. And uh, I was the oldest of, of those, and, and I, I guess I take the blame for being a ringleader. But my mother at times thought that she was raising a pack of wild hyenas. And there were those moments, those tipping point moments when you know, we were about to fall into anarchy and chaos when she had learned to say at the right moment the magic words. Wait till your father gets home. And wait till I tell your dad what you've done. And those words brought instant domestication into the Absher household. I mean, dad was the old gunfighter. You walked away clean from the old gunfighter. Uh, many years ago, as Ellen and I were beginning a ministry with a church in another state, a, a couple of decades ago, uh, Ellen and I were new to the area, we were new to the church, and we wanted to get to know people, so we would set up appointments to, uh, to visit with people. And there was a, a woman in our church that came, her, you know, she was up in the rotation. And uh, we invited her to meet us over at a local coffee shop or conversation, coffee, maybe a cookie or something. And we met the day, you know, a couple of days later, show, everybody shows up, and we're having this, the nicest conversation, having a great conversation, getting to know this gal. And after about an hour or so, I look at Ellen and say, what? You know, it's probably time for us to go. I need to get back to the office. I know you need to get back to the house because of the kids. And I turned to the lady to say, well, thank you so much for coming. And she said, was that it? And I said, yeah, were you expecting something else? And she looked at Ellen, and she looked at me, and she looked back at Ellen. She said, I thought I was in trouble. I thought you had called me over here to yell at me. And I said, lady, I just met you. I don't know anything about you. That's, and if you knew me, you know that's not my style. And I said, why would you think that? And she said, every preacher I've ever known in my life has yelled at me. How heartbreaking. Then a year later, we found out why they were all yelling at her. That's just a joke. That didn't happen. <laughs> She's a sweet gal. There's something in humans, when you think about it, that knows that we deserve what's coming. And something is definitely coming. There's this sense of panic, the rumble of panic 
underneath. Something's coming. We feel guilty about maybe things in general at times. And whatever it is that's coming down the road, we know that we deserve it. Where in the world does that come from as a human being? Oh, believe it or not, it comes from the very first book in the Hebrew Scriptures, the book that we call Genesis, which is a description that God had given to Moses to give to the people of Israel to describe how the world came into being and how the world came to be the way the world is, and it's the creation story. And as you know, God creates everything. Genesis 1 and 2 creates everything, says that it is tov in Hebrew, that it's good. It is exactly what he had in his mind, except one thing. And he looks down upon the man, and the man is lonely. And, he, and say it with me, he says, it's not good for the man to be alone. And so he creates a woman, and Adam and Eve are in the Garden of Eden with God, and life is good, life is harmonious, life is peaceful, life is tranquil. There is no anxiety, there's intimacy with God. Eve does not feel any kind of anxiety when God comes over for dinner. Uh, Adam does not feel afraid to be in the same room with the big boss. And then everything, and when I say everything, I mean, what is the meaning of everything? It's just everything changes when they eat of that forbidden fruit and they don't trust God and there's idolatry, all of these things going on. Everything changes when Adam and Eve introduce sin into the world. And this is where we read in verse 8 of chapter 3. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And up to this point, everything's been great. Everybody is on the same page. And they what? And they what? Hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They're hiding from God. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. And so I hid. Now, if you're listening carefully to the, the trajectory of that story, you hear something like this, that the sense of guilt, you know, something is done that is wrong, and the sense of guilt leads to the fear that kills the intimacy with God, and we go into hiding. If you reversed it, it would sound something like this. We, we lost all of our intimacy with God. We do not want to be in God's presence. That's why so many people don't go to church. They don't want to go to church and hear about God or read the Bible where God is going to drop an anvil of guilt on them. They already know that. I don't need God's judgment. And so we lost that intimacy and we're hiding from God in fear because we sense the guilt of sin. And deep down we fear the authority because we know that at some level we're guilty. We did the don'ts, whatever those are. And we didn't do the do's, whatever they are. And so because of that, something's coming and we deserve it. We have replaced the peace, the tranquility, and the harmony with God with fear. And there's something coming and we deserve it. But here's the thing. Something, rather someone, came whom we don't deserve. If you remember last week's message... He said something like this, if you want to understand the Christmas story, you have to understand one word. And you remember what that word is? The word is grace. The grace of Christmas, the grace of the incarnation, the grace of the birth of Jesus is God in love through His Son, Jesus Christ, giving us the thing that we need most in this life as a gift 
And that is life once again with God. And that's why we should never be vague about the Christmas story. Here's something that I want you to think about for the rest of this week as we get ready to celebrate on the 25th the birth of Jesus. And we all know that's not the date. But it is the moment in which all of the world just about tips its hat towards this birth. And the thing I want you to think about is this phrase right here, that humans need the incarnation story because of the creation story. We need that incarnation story because of the creation story. The creation story tells us that things are not the way they're supposed to be. The creation story tells us that there was a point in time in which we lost our innocence, we lost our place, we lost our way, we lost our vocation, we lost the garden, and most of all, we lost that connection, that relationship, that intimacy with God. That's what the creation story tells us. But in the incarnation story, the birth of Jesus, born of a virgin, in the incarnation, God is saying again to human beings, it's not good for man to be alone and to make sure that humans get the point, I'm going to send my son, whose name will be Emmanuel, which means, say it with me, God with us. That's the incarnation story. And to underscore the the God with us fact, even more profoundly than than just that, think about this. The shepherds were the first non-family members to get the Christmas message. And so we read in Luke chapter 2, beginning with verse 8, that there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they, as you can imagine, were completely terrified, sitting around a campfire, enjoying a meal together, telling some jokes, and all of a sudden, faces planted in the dirt. And this angel that just appears in the, I mean, they didn't have street lights, they just had the little fire. Out in this great darkness, this angel appears and says to them, Do not be afraid. Fear not. Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. All the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. What's that word, church? Peace. Say it with me. Peace. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom His, what? Favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's get up off the ground and let's go to Bethlehem and and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And so one of the things that Luke is telling us here is that the Christmas message is for all people. You ever wonder why Jesus described himself as the good shepherd over there in John's Gospel? The reason was is that most shepherds, in fact, all of them that were not, you know, the great shepherds, most shepherds were considered to be not all that great. 
They were not somebody that you would automatically call to come over to the house to babysit your kids. They were considered to be untrustworthy. They were considered to be in a continual state of uncleanliness, so you didn't really want to hang out with them because the idea was that whatever it was that made them unclean and kept them unclean in the eyes of God and all that kind of stuff would somehow be transferred to you so you would stay away from them. And a fellow by the name of Walter Layfield in his commentary on Luke says, the most obvious implications is that the gospel first came to the social outcasts of Jesus' day. The gospel came to all people. All people. The grace of Christmas was not just for the Hebrews. It was not just for, you know, it wasn't just good news for good people. It, it wasn't just for those who were recognized by everybody else as having a step up on that righteousness ladder. It was even for the unsavory and the untrustworthy and the unpleasant and even the unbeautiful. And it was coming free of charge. And then secondly, the Christmas message was not only for all people, but it's about a Savior. You know, have you ever received a gift, and I think all of us have, where, you, you know, you receive this gift and they want you to open it up in front of them, and that you do, and you're so touched that they thought of you and they went to some trouble to buy something to wrap it up, and they give it to you, and you open it up, and you don't have a clue as to what it is. I mean, you go, what? And, you know, and you're so touched that they're thinking of you, but you don't know, you're not quite sure what to make of that gift. In the Christmas movie, The Christmas Story, have you seen this about a million times? The Christmas Story, Christmas morning has arrived, and everyone is opening gifts, and Ralphie give, gets a gift that he doesn't quite know what to do with. His aunt has given him the great gift of homemade pajamas that, in his father's words, makes him look like a deranged Easter bunny and like a giant pink nightmare. And then there's the moment at the end of all that gift opening when Ralphie's father uh, says, look in that corner. There looks like there might be a gift there that nobody's looked at yet. And he goes over there and the music is just right and he opens it up and it turns out to be what? The Red Rider BB gun. And Ralphie becomes, in that transformative moment, in his own mind, a real boy. And so the angel tells the shepherd that a Savior has been born to them. And it's such a great gift that there is a multitude of angels who appear singing praise to the gift giver. Now, I've received a lot of gifts in my time, but never one so great that the angels appeared out of the sky singing hallelujah. I was saying, what in the world is this? That's more what I was saying. So what does it mean that God has sent a Savior? It means from God's vantage point that, that humans are in a predicament whether they realize it or not. It is a predicament that sometimes overwhelms like a flood, or sometimes it makes the human feel like he's in quicksand, but it is a predicament that they cannot escape. And it means that God is doing something about humans who are sinking and being overwhelmed. It means that God is doing something for the human race and in the human race that does not depend on our goodness, but His love. It's something that doesn't depend on our own righteousness, but on the righteousness of the Savior. And that, my friends, is the great gift. And the Christmas message is this. Don't be afraid. God the Son coming in the flesh as a Savior means that God is not coming to dish out some payback. 
that God is not coming to give you payback. The message is peace and great joy. The message is God's favor on men. My first preaching book, which turns out to be one of my favorites, even though it's, uh, it's, a, it's probably about 40 years old, is a book called Telling the Truth by Frederick Buechner. And there's a passage that you've heard me quote, at least part of it from time to time. I want to quote, I want to read to you the, the whole thing because I think it is one of the most profound things I've read about the gospel. He writes, the gospel is bad news before it is good news. It is the news that man is a sinner, to use the old word, and that he is evil in the imagination of his heart. That when he looks in the mirror, all in a lather, what he sees is at least eight parts chicken, bony, and slob. That's the tragedy. That's the bad news. But it is also the news that he is loved anyway and cherished and forgiven, bleeding to be sure, but also bled for. End of quote. You know, the most extraordinary things happen in the life of a human being when we discover and embrace the truth that we need a Savior in this life. Zacchaeus, there in Jericho, that little sawed-off social misfit, climbs up into a sycamore tree and he comes down a saint. There's Paul, who is a hitman on his way to Damascus and arrives in Damascus as a fool for Christ. There's the Samaritan woman, who in that village near Sychar is an outcast, but after a couple of minutes and a couple of questions and conversation with Jesus at a well, she becomes the village's guide to Jesus. One of the things that the Christmas story tells us is that there is, an, there is entering into the human experience a power and a love and a human being that makes it possible for everything that has gone wrong in your life to be made right. And that's not that you forget about it or maybe some of the things that, that you're dealing with in terms of consequences goes away, but all of a sudden you find yourself in the midst of a love that you cannot describe, that gives you a peace that cannot ever be described by a word, and there's a joy that is inexpressible in your life because the creator of the heavens and the earth, the most powerful being, the supreme value of the universe is saying, I am coming not for payback but to bring you in. To bring you in. And it's not going to be based on what you have done, what you have accomplished, what you've been able to save, what you've been able, as Chris talked about this morning, uh, fool people into believing about you because God knows the truth about all of us and sees deeply into our souls. But the gift is to come again with a life, a life with Him, rest of your life experience. And that's, what the Christ, that's why we should never be vague about it is that what is truly great about this story is that God is changing the world, as we say, by loving people and changing that world one soul at a time. We're going to have some shepherds down here at the front, and maybe you've been thinking about that for a long time. And today is the day that you can make that change and accept that gift, you know, to be, to be baptized, to participate in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, which is that gift, the culmination of that gift, is life on earth as flesh. There are men that are going to be down here. If there's other things that you want to pray about, if there are things that you need counsel about, they're going to be down here at the front to talk to you. And you can come down to the front now and speak with them as we stand and praise God together.